Welcome to Startup Health Now. This is the podcast where we celebrate entrepreneurs and innovators in health and their work to improve the health and well-being of billions of lives. I'm Nicole Clark, Startup Health Senior Writer. Today, I took my cue from This American Life's Ira Glass. I'm recording this in my bedroom closet. At this point, I haven't left my house in over a week, except to walk the dog and myself. I'm trying to do my part to social distance, and so here we are, in my closet. You'll have to pardon any lackluster acoustics and hang in there with us, because the insights and analysis the team here at Startup Health are covering are, we believe, an essential part of the efforts to solve for COVID-19. According to the World Health Organization, there are confirmed cases of the coronavirus in over 160 countries. In many of those countries, the virus has upended life for people. Based off of the numbers, you're probably one of them. Fresh ideas are needed for dealing with the problems it's creating, which is why our team is doing what so many others are doing right now. We're pivoting. This is what that looks like for the Startup Health Media team. We're ramping up our storytelling. In particular, we're doubling down on stories and messages from health innovators and entrepreneurs who have been banging the drum long before COVID-19 hit, calling for change in the way we think about healthcare. They're doing their part to usher health systems around the world into the digital age and an age of health equity. And these days, they're activating their tools and tech to support COVID-19 solutions. On today's episode, you're going to meet one of those drum bangers. If you're an avid health transformation follower, you've probably heard of him or read his stuff. Dr. Marty McCary. Dr. McCary is an advocate for healthcare innovation, writing in the Wall Street Journal, USA Today, He's also written two best-selling books. He's a principal investigator of a Robert Wood Foundation grant to lower healthcare costs in the U.S. And when he's not writing or speaking nationally on disruptive innovation and the need for transparency in healthcare, Dr. McCary is a surgical oncologist who moonlights as a teacher here in my hometown of Baltimore at the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine. So you can imagine then that in the past two months, Dr. McCary has been an important voice in the push for smart solutions to mitigate the coronavirus's impact. In one of his latest articles for the Washington Post, he, along with several other leading medical professionals, suggests a path forward to avoid the worst outcomes. One of McCary's suggestions? Let patients test themselves at home. Give it a read when you have a chance. In this special fireside chat I'm about to play for you, Dr. McCary sits down with Dr. Zubin Damania, founder and creator of ZDog MD Industries. A little context, ZDog MD Industries is the digital production studio behind Incident Report Live. It's a leading medical news and entertainment show broadcast on the interwebs. Dr. Damania is known as healthcare's unfiltered voice. In this chat, it's Dr. Zubin interviewing Dr. McCary at the 2020 Startup Health Festival, which took place in January. And I know... January feels like a lifetime ago, but their talk is more relevant than ever. Take a listen. Hey, everyone. So I found out like five minutes ago that I'm the moderator here, whereas I thought... <laughs> My plus I, one. That's right. I was his plus one. Now I'm the moderator. So I'm uh, Zubin Demania. I was a Stanford uh, hospitalist for years and years. Uh, quit, moved to Las Vegas, worked with Tony Shea, had a healthcare startup called Turntable Health, which failed. It did really well, didn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. Sorry, sorry so, about 
Yeah. So I'm already ahead of most of these guys because <laughs> I have the failed startup. Um, now I do a show called the Z-Dog MD Show on the internet, and we try to shine a light on bright spots in healthcare. And one of the bright spots I found was this guy here, Dr. Marty McCary, who is a Johns Hopkins professor of surgery and does islet cell transplants. By the way, for those who aren't surgeons, you never touch the pancreas. It's a terrible idea. He does it for a living. Okay, it tells you that he's fearless. And you wrote the book, uh, Unaccountable, which Fox's The Resident is based on. And I understand you're a consultant for The Resident. Not when they do CPR on the show. I believe they were compressing a stomach the other day. So. <laughs> but your latest book, The Price We Pay, is what really intrigued me. Because, first of all, it made me think, you're going to need professional security. Because what Marty does is he shines a light on the fact that our major hospital systems are suing patients who can't pay the inflated charge master bills they're given. These are patients who work at Walmart, who are unemployed. These are people who can least afford it. And many people on the front line, physicians like myself, don't even know that it's happening. How did you even get involved in that? Because you had a pretty cush gig at Hopkins as a tenured professor. Well, first of all, if, uh, <clears throat> if I do get killed for any reason, all my passwords are Z-Dog number one. <laughs> We have something in common there, too, then, I see. It's not being recorded, <laughs> is it? Um, you know, I think, uh, first of all, great to see you again, Zubin. Uh, if you guys have never seen the readmission video or any of the Z-Dog videos, I mean, if you guys seen, like, the, uh, the readmission video, it's like, I don't know, 13 million views. Uh, moral injury uh, video talking about how burnout is really a form of moral injury in healthcare what, 40 million videos, the nurse video, something like that. So um, I have a, um, I just love people who want to push the field. And um, we got too many people in healthcare just collecting their paycheck every two weeks and not asking what's wrong with the system. And I think that's why people see you as a voice because they're frustrated and they want to do something bigger and get off the treadmill. And you got off the treadmill, you got off the treadmill. But um, what I did was basically in the course of our research is discovered that these prices that we uh, have are in bills that are uninterpretable by the hospitals that are issuing the bills. And when we challenged hospitals and just inquired, hey, this patient got charged $80,000 for an operation where the reference base price is $20,000, they would frequently say, invariably, Look, Marty, nobody pays those prices. That's the sticker price, and that they're all, we work with everybody individually. Well, first of all, we said, what is this crazy game we've inherited of inflating prices for the purposes of offering secret insurance discounts? This is a crazy game. We've got good people at hospitals working in a bad system. This system has gotten completely out of control. So we started uh, asking the question, are people really expected to pay these prices? and discovered that some hospitals, about 20 to 30% in the JAMA study, um, will aggressively go after patients with what I call predatory billing, if we can use an honest term, and price gouging, and sue them in court to garnish their wages. Most common person sued was a Walmart employee, followed by food service workers, postal workers, and even hospital worker 
workers like housekeepers. So we started telling the story and we went around the country. I defend any patient that's being sued in court pro bono for free. I will go to those judges. We win 100% of the time and we will keep going to stop predatory billing once and for all in the United States. And so we're going around. It's really public accountability. That's what well, we're so, you know, and it gets to the heart of this thing, right? We, like these folks are trying to innovate. We're trying to actually do what America does really well, which is compete, innovate, bring things to the market that are actually disruptive and actually increase efficiency and provide value, right? At least some things do that, right? Yeah. And what happens when patients don't trust us when we have these opaque money games, when our system is so dysfunctional, first of all, it creates what you, you referred to my moral injury video. It was a video where I said, it's not burnout when they say we're, we healthcare professionals are, you know, are, are burning out. That's a victim shaming kind of thing. It's really moral injury, which means it's good people with certain values in a system where they're asked to do things that are entirely antithetical to their values. We serve so many masters, the employer, our patients, our family. And when you hear something like this, you realize I'm billing a 99239 discharge 35 minute code. That's generating a fee for the patient of this that then is causing my corporation that hires me to go sue this patient. And then the patient goes medically bankrupt. Well, now, not only is it moral injury, it's moral devastation. And on top of that, so what's gonna happen when this uh, outrage reaches a level, if we don't own it and take care of it, what's gonna happen? The government's gonna come in and be like, hey, we're just gonna socialize this. And then all of us are screwed. All right, because we can do this in a way that nowhere else in the world has done it, which is American innovation, universal coverage, all of us competing to provide the best care that actually prevents disease, that's affordable, and that's technology enabled instead of enslaved. And we give that up if we, if we acquiesce to these money games that we currently play. You know, people think um, docs are burnout and we've got record high rates of burnout because um, we're working too hard. But I, w I would suggest it's not that. I would suggest the moral injury argument that you've articulated very well is it's the loss of autonomy. It's doing stuff that we know doesn't matter. It's not having control. That's what the frustration is with the electronic health records. That's what people are c talking about. That's where they're seeing you as a, a voice in this incredible message where you're saying, look, we committed our lives to working our tails off to help people. And what we found is now we're in this system where we lose autonomy. I mean, you, I mean, I, I've really enjoyed getting, getting to know you, but I think it'd be helpful for people to hear. At some point, you basically said, I want to get off this hamster wheel and try to do something with impact. And I think you and I have seen too many episodes of the TV show Silicon Valley to ever do a startup, so right. God bless you guys. Yeah. But you decided to you know, do something, and so what was that aha moment? I wanted the doors to go like this, Marty, instead of the doors <laughs> to go like this. No, what, what it was for me, so I, you know, when I was at Stanford and Epic went live, I saw, I was there on call that night, and all these patients lining up, new residents, it was very stressful, Epic goes live, we're trying to figure it out. All of a sudden, I found that I'm treating a computer screen instead of a patient. All of a sudden I found I'm treating a computer screen to get through my day instead of teaching the residents how to do medicine. And so what you said about, hey, we're actually pretty resilient, we actually work pretty hard when we care about what we do and it feels like it matters. 
while clicking boxes in a stupid electronic health record that's a glorified cash register that does nothing for patient care, that sucks data out and gives it to people that don't know what to do with it, that doesn't feel very good to me as someone who gave up my 20s to care for human beings. So what you guys are doing, if you are doing something that helps solve that, that actually takes something off a clinician's plate, that actually adds value to this and makes, allows us to actually work smarter and not harder, then you will succeed, right? We get the brightest, most creative, most dedicated people that go into medicine and they're driven by compassion. What happens? Do, do they change that mission? Do we beat the Krebs cycle into them so many times that they have become these robots? Pyruvate, <laughs> yeah. Pyruvate. We, we, do, we do condition them. So some of our biggest fans of our show you know, are medical students. And when I go speak to medical students, they all tell me, they're like, we're learning a bunch of stuff that doesn't seem to matter, half of which is going to be proven wrong, and they don't tell us which half. Um, we're being conditioned, and then the American Medical Association makes a statement like, maybe we should teach medical students how to use the electronic health record earlier so they're more inclined to be effective. That went over real well. That went over really well. They had to issue an apology, and I did some rant, and probably I'm never going to be employable again, but it doesn't matter. And, and the idea that, again, we can change medical education, we can focus on what matters, we really do need to create more primary care physicians who understand prevention, that also there is a mind-body connection, which we ignore, because uh, it's very hard to do surgery on the mind-body connection. It's very hard to remove and accurately put back. And so those I can do surgery on anything, by the way. You know what? I believe you. Yeah. I would trust you with you doing surgery. you got the flu, I can operate on it. <laughs> Steel heels and it can't hurt you if it's in a bucket, they say. Um, but all, all of this stuff, I think, no wonder medical students are upset. They're looking at their mentors and going, these guys hate their lives. They're telling me that thing, you know, it, 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 this is the future of medicine, right? So if we don't start doing something, this is why I think what you're doing with, I mean, this book, when I read it, you know, Marty was going to come on the show. He sent me the book. I'm like, great, another hardcover book that I have to pretend to have read before I do the show. I started reading it and I'm like, wait, what, what, what? I'm like, this, and the, the thing that made the book particularly impactful is not just the outrage. You need that. So you're running a startup. You better get people outraged emotionally about the problem you're trying to solve. But then he says, okay, now you're outraged. Here are companies that are doing it correctly. Here are bright spots. And we try to do that with our show too. Let's get a bright spot on the show, whether it's something that actually is artificially intelligent <laughs> instead of just slapping an AI label on it or whatever it is, if it's going to help prevent violence against healthcare providers, that sort of thing. The system just seems so broken that when docs are going into med school now, they're literally telling us, uh, we don't plan to practice full time. I mean, I think I heard a statistic that half of our medical students at Johns Hopkins do not plan to practice full time. Why, why would they practice in office-based medicine, full-time primary care? God bless those people. I could handle one hour of that in med school, where at the end of an hour, I saw four patients between 8 a.m. and 9 a.m., 15 minutes each. Each patient, I was like, let me, let me get back to you. That's a deep issue. Let, we're going to talk. I'm going to ask somebody about that. I'm not sure. I'll get the answer. And at the end of one hour, I literally went to my preceptor, and I'm like, are we doing this all day? Because I'm, I'm spent. I'm burnt out. From one hour. And people do that for a living. I mean, you, 
you did that, right? Primary, primary care, office-based medicine, and I think people are saying, how about these relationship-based clinics? How about Iora and ChenMed and Oak Street and Landmark? And how about this relationship-based clinic that gets at the underlying root causes of disease? And how about talking about sleep? May contribute to dementia and Alzheimer's. That's what we're finding in our research. It contributes to high blood pressure instead of just throwing meds at people. How about we talk about food? Things that we have never really had the funding to study. And people are now saying, hey, let's get involved in that. Let's talk about that. Yeah, you know, and this idea that people are dying more of diseases of despair. So our life expectancy is decreasing. Hey, here we are, the smartest kids in the room. Why is America so screwed up? The people are dying of suicide, drug addiction and abuse, um, these dis preventable chronic diseases. One of, the, one of the biggest problems I see in seniors, public health problem nobody is talking about, loneliness. Ah, you know, so, so Vivek Murthy, former Surgeon General, came on our show and talked about loneliness. And the most emotional part of that episode is where he talked about growing up lonely, being isolated, and then you project that on a 70-year-old person living in poor socioeconomic status, they're the only person there, no one's seeing them. Of course they're unwell. This, the mind and the body are one thing. Of course they're unwell. How are you going to solve that? Well, we could do hotspot medicine. Well, the data shows that doesn't work if you don't have the social structure to support it. So in this country, we medicalize our social problems. We think there's an app for it, but there really isn't. The app is bringing back communities and connection and then enabling it with technology that makes us more efficient, more connected. Do you think people are seeing this big gap in medicine, this sort of pill-popping culture and this lack of addressing the underlying root issues. Is this the movement in healthcare to move towards addressing the real source issues? I think people are really good at self-deception, denial, and wanting a simple answer. And I say this from personal experience. So, you know, I lied to myself about who I was. I am a Stanford Hospital doctor up until the end when I realized, no, this is gonna kill me, I can't continue to be on this hamster wheel doing stuff that feels wrong, even though Stanford's a fantastic institution, it's not picking on Stanford, it's just the fact that our system is so jacked up, you have to unplug. Well, most people would rather the comfort of being in denial about who and what they are, and so a pill or a quick answer will allow them to continue to do the, the stuff that hurts them. And until we address that, then if you want to have like a Medicare for all, all you're doing is paying for people to do the wrong thing to themselves <laughs> at scale in a broken system that you now codify. Fix that, then I don't care who pays for it. It can be the government, it can be whoever. We have a study out of Johns Hopkins asking the question, what percent of all federal spending goes to healthcare in its many hidden forms? And do you know what the answer is? 48%. Half of Social Security checks now go to Medicare copays, deductibles, coinsurance, and uncovered services. The Defense Department has its own healthcare system. That's 8% of their budget, separate from the VA, which is 4.5% of federal spending. And we pay for healthcare benefits for 9 million federal workers. And interest on the debt is in, in part interest on the healthcare spending debt. 48% of all federal spending goes to healthcare. So when I meet with the politicians, the candidates, and they say, hey, let's talk about what, we, what more we can do in healthcare, I tell them, we can keep throwing good money after bad into the broken system, or we can cut the waste. And right now, 
we're at 48% of all federal spending that goes to health care. What are you proposing as a candidate? You increase that to 50, 90, 500%, because that's still not going to cover some of these ideas that are out there. How about we cut the waste and let the free markets work? And by the way, people are hungry for honesty and pricing. I mean, billing quality is medical quality and financial toxicity is a medical complication. And in order to rebuild the trust in American hospitals, we've got to address our pricing failures. Right now, 64% of Americans avoided or delayed medical care for fear of the bill. That's a disgrace. We have a public trust crisis. I think in our five seconds left, that's a perfect call to action is to think about we can fix this. We can talk about problems all day, but you guys and, and everybody together, we can actually together collectively fix this. Our job partially is to shine lights on things that are working, so hit us up, zdogmd.com for me. Where can they find you, Marty? Um, MedPage Today. I'm excited about this new role at MedPage Today. And if you guys have not seen these videos, check them out. I mean, what is like... 50 million collective hits on these different platforms. When you guys see the videos, you'll see why. It's just, it's like a gateway drug to YouTube. It's a death spiral, people. Enjoy it. <laughs> Thank you so much. Great. Thanks. Thanks, Marty. At Startup Health, our motto has been, together we can. By uniting a global army of the world's top health innovators, we believe we can solve the world's biggest health challenges. This includes challenges like the one we currently face, the spread of the novel coronavirus. We invest in entrepreneurs who are committed to achieving health moonshots. And to read more about the inspiring women and men in Startup Health, go to startuphealth.com and click on content. I appreciate you joining me today. Tune in the rest of this week for special programming from our very own Chief Medical Officer, Dr. Howard Krein, along with dispatches from two Italian health entrepreneurs working to keep hospitals safe and expedite testing in Italy. Meanwhile, stay safe, stay healthy, and do your part to practice responsible social distancing. We're all in this together.